Well, good morning, Oakwood family. We are in the last part of 1 Peter today. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to chapter 5. We're going to complete the series today in chapter 5. Before we get going with that, I just want to make everybody aware of something this morning. Uh, If you are a church member that is 16 years of age or older, um, and we have your email address, uh, you should have got an email this morning, a little bit after 8 o'clock, with a survey. And we'd really like for you to take a few moments this week and fill that out for us. Give us some feedback on the church. Um, Also, in case we don't have your updated email or you don't have that, um, we invite you to just uh, participate by there's a QR code in the bulletin this morning and there's a way for you to just put your your phone over that and in your uh, camera app and it will take you to a link to take you to that survey so we just love to have your feedback it helps us with some spiritual growth initiatives and some future planning and to kind of see where we're at maturity wise as a church um, and, and to kind of look at some certain areas so if you could help us with that we really really appreciate your feedback on that This has been a great series. I feel like uh, God's word is like this so many times that it's a timely series. Um, As we've been in 1 Peter, there's so many uh, different topics that we've covered. And if you remember the first week, we're talking about how Jesus is our living hope. And we got into some things about authorities, civil authorities, governmental authorities, and how we're to have a submissive spirit to those and how that honors Christ. Uh, We even talked about that in the context of the home. We talked about marriage relationships. and, And we've talked about perseverance and suffering and what to do when it seems like times are down. And we've gone through all of these different things as as the different parts of this letter that that, uh, Peter wrote to uh, the Christians that that were suffering or about to suffer in that first century church. Um, As as he's been writing to them, we have had so many of those things apply to our lives. And that's just going to continue today as we are in chapter 5. So again, if you have your Bible, turn there, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. If you want to follow along in the app, you can do that, the Oakwood app. Just go to sermon notes and all the notes will be there for you uh, with the uh, scripture as well as the outline as well. So 1 Peter chapter 5, let's just read this chapter in its entirety uh, together. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. 
Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So you can see that here in this final uh, part of, of, of the book, and in my subheading there, it says, uh, to the elders and to the flock. It's just kind of like the closing of a letter. That's what it feels like. There's just several things that he gives us. And one of the things there at the very end, um, he says, is we're to greet one another with a kiss of love. So if everyone would find someone you don't know this morning, um, and if you greet them with a kiss of love this morning, uh, Nobody's moving. No, oh, okay. Maybe that was a cultural thing back then. Maybe that was, maybe that was for, for Bible times and, and maybe not as much for today. But uh, great, great chapter and, and a great way to end the letter. And so we're going to draw several things, um, application points for our life out of this this morning. Um, and we're going to begin with this. Uh, the, he begins this first part of chapter 5 by actually addressing the elders of the church. The elders are the church leaders. Uh, just a little quick thing about elders. Um, they're, uh, elders, when that word for elders, it's also uh, translated as overseers in the Bible. Uh, they were kind of the, uh, the people that were running God's church. And when Paul, uh, Peter, um, any of the apostles and the disciples went out and established churches, we see this all throughout the New Testament, um, they would find a group of godly men to lead God's church, and they were classified as elders. Now, interesting thing about the, the word that we translate elders, it's always plural in Scripture. So we know for a fact that there wasn't one elder in God's church leading the church. It was always a plurality of godly men leading God's church. And so that's who he's beginning here as he closes this letter out. That's who he's beginning talking to. And, and he says to, to, those, um, to those men, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, to be shepherds of God's flock. That they're to be shepherds, they're to be overseers, and they're to be shepherding God's people. The first thing I want us to take away from us this morning is this. We need to approach discipleship with humility and a heart to grow and serve others. We need to approach discipleship with humility and a heart to grow and to serve others. Notice he begins this by saying to the elders there that we are to be shepherds of God's flock. And even though he's talking to the elders specifically here and addresses it as so, I think these are good guiding principles for anyone who would have spiritual influence in another person's life. You see, in the Great Commission, Jesus said that we're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what Jesus said. That wasn't in order for the elders of the church. It wasn't an order for a church staff member. It wasn't an order just for a Sunday school teacher or just for a small group leader. That was a command for all Christians everywhere all the time is make disciples. What are you supposed to be doing? Make disciples. So in the spirit of making disciples and that you would actually be discipling another believer, then in the same spirit that he's addressing the elders here, we should approach discipleship this way. Approach discipleship with humility and a heart to grow and to serve others. Be shepherds, it says in verse 2, of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain. Notice he says there that you're watching over them. That's one of the jobs of the elders is to watch the doctrine of the church, to watch out, watch out for false teaching, to protect the flock of God. You get the shepherd imagery all throughout Scripture. You know it goes back to the Old Testament. Um, even with King David, he was a little shepherd boy. 
This shepherding imagery gives a, is very important, and to the people at this time, they would understand what that means. That they are put over a flock of sheep, and they are to protect those animals, sometimes as if their very life depended on it. And he says, not because you must, but because you are willing. So many churches, I think, through the years have maybe struggled with how they get elders. You know, eldership is a hard job. It's, uh, a lot of times it's dealing with, with you know, things that you, you know, trouble in God's church. It's, it's making decisions that affect, you know, a whole body of believers. And so sometimes it's a very strenuous and stressful work. And he says here that it's not because you must... You know, when we uh, do our elder selection here at Oakwood, uh, we don't corner guys in the back hallway and say, hey, you know, you need to be an elder. You know, you've been here for 25 years and you're a good old boy and I enjoy drinking coffee with you, so you ought to be an elder. It's like, no, no, we're looking for people. In fact, the term that we use in elders meetings often when we're thinking of the elders for the future, we say, let's find some guys that are already elding. Let's find some guys that are already making disciples, that are already teaching, that are already stepping up into, into leadership roles in God's church without the, the title or the acclamation of elder. And let's get those that are already doing some of the responsibilities of elders, that are already teaching, that are already discipling, that already have a heart and a vision for God's church. Because they're willing. Not, we're not going to force them into it. We're not going to ask them and go after them and pursue them and twist their arm. No. He says right here, hey, you need to be willing to do this as God wants you to be. That you want to be a disciple maker, that you're willing to step into this leadership role in God's church. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. It's not for some kind of gain. It's for you to just be a servant. And then look what he says in verse 3. This is critical when you are discipling someone else. It says, not lording it over them lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. We are called to be examples to the flock. Anybody in spiritual leadership, but especially the elders of God's church. You may say, why? And it's because a poor witness, a poor witness negates evangelism. And it hinders the growth and discipleship of God's church. If you have a poor witness, and you know what this means, like what he's saying here is to lead by example, you know? It's kind of like this. If we, if we were coming before you as elders and we were say, hey, all you people need to do what the scripture says, right? And the scripture says, you know, in, in Malachi 3, that says that you are to give a tithe of everything you have into the Lord's work and service. And so everyone here, you know, needs, needs to tithe, be giving 10% of their income to the Lord and trusting him. Trusting him because he's the provider of all things. If we came up to you and proclaimed that to you, and we're not doing that ourselves, to me, that's being a really poor example. Right? The apostle Paul takes us to the nth degree when he says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. What Paul's challenging us with there is he says, hey, uh, you can look at my life. You can look at my checkbook. You can look at all the different aspects and areas of my life. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I won't do myself. It's important to have that kind of witness, to have that kind of testimony when you're leading people in God's church. And so elders are called to be examples, and we as spiritual leaders in the church, maybe, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, maybe you're leading a group, maybe you're leading a ministry team, to be a good example, not a poor witness, but a strong witness in evangelism for Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4 it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, it's talking about Jesus' second coming, when he appears again, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There are eternal riches if you'll stand firm and serve well in the faith. 
The second thing we get out of this passage is that we need to stay humble so the Lord can use you. Stay humble so that the Lord can use you. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says there, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The fact is, and we see this throughout the Bible from the beginning in the book of Genesis, and I was thinking of the life of Joseph there at the end of Genesis, how Genesis ends with the life of Joseph, clear till the New Testament, clear to the end, even, even into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, how we see God time and time again take a humble servant, and in due time, when God's timing is just right, in God's way and with his time, he will raise a humble servant up that the Lord will use in mighty and spectacular ways for his kingdom's work. The approach that we're to have is that we're to be a people that are humble. That we live to God's standards and we show the way toward God in humility. Not that we have some spiritual superiority complex. I think this, this actually happens in the church sometimes. Is that sometimes Christians get this superiority complex. I think sometimes when you are a Christian for a long time, there's this temptation that I'm further along and I know more. And I maybe live my life better or in a better way that honors God than other people. And when you do that, even by me saying those words, we're all kind of a little bit like, ooh, why? It's because it's pride. It's pride. And that's what he's speaking against here for church leaders and for those that would make disciples. He's saying, hey, don't, don't, don't serve in this place of pride, but be humble. Be humble. Remembering that God's ways are not man's ways. I know the world would say, stick out your chest, buy a t-shirt, proclaim it, put a sticker on your car about it. Hey, I'm good. I'm a Christian and I'm better than you, no more than you. I'm more mature than you. That's what the world would say to do. But he says, no, 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 we're going to do this in humility because God's ways are not man's ways. Man looks at the outside. Man looks at all the exterior things. Man looks at just what's on the outside, but the Lord looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. He looks at the intentions. He looks at the mind. God knows what's going on the inside of us. I think this is also a call for those that would be disciple makers in God's church or those that would be in any kind of leadership in God's churches to be healthy people, to stay humble so the Lord can use you. When you apply this to your life, are you staying humble before the Lord? Third thing this morning, trust God with all that worries you. It's it's amazing. Right here in verse 7, right in the middle of this chapter, chapter 5, right right toward the end of this letter, it's just kind of like he pauses, and it's like, does this go with the text before it? Does it go with the text behind it? What is he saying here? It's just a reminder with all that he's spoken to us in the first four chapters, in the first six verses today, we'll get to verse 7, and Peter reminds us this, cast all your anxiety on him, Because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I think because he cares for you, we hear that first part and we're like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do here. That's my part in this, is that I'm to cast all my anxiety on him. But it's a reminder, he says, why? Because he cares for you. He cares for all of you. Every aspect of your life. 
He wants to affect it. And he knows what's going on because God is sovereign over all things. He's omnipotent and omniscient. He knows everything that's going on in one's life, and he cares about every aspect of his children's life. If you don't believe this, uh, several of us have been reading through the Bible app, uh, maybe on your phone, maybe on your computer, but uh, we've been in the Bible app, we've been reading, and we've, we've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, now we're into Joshua just in the last couple of days. As you read through all of that, you know what we've read. We've read what? The Torah, right? God's law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And those of us that have read that this year, we can give you a nod and say, yes, God cares about every aspect of your life. <laughs> if you read the law, what is it addressing? Every aspect of your life. I mean, he gets really specific in how you're supposed to handle, you know, a dead body. He, he gets in there about how you're supposed to live in purity sexually and what's pleasing to the Lord and, and how, how you conduct your affairs in your household and, 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 and what he expects of you. I mean, he goes into every aspect of the life of an Israelite because he cares about every aspect. And he knows how the, the life of us as humans, how one thing always affects the other. I mean, I, I know we talk about this, that so many times we try to compartmentalize our lives, right? It's like, this is my Jesus life, you know, and we keep Jesus over here. Now, come over here. Now, when I do this during the week, now, Jesus doesn't come, you know, to this part. I, you know, the Jesus over here, this is the, this part of my life, and then over here is this part. But, hey, I don't ever talk about that, share that with it. This is like private part of my life, right? No one knows about it. My wife doesn't know about this. My friends don't. No one knows about this. So I got that part, and then I got this part that's kind of like, no, but then I got the Jesus part, and no. Every aspect of your life, God wants to be involved. God has a plan. We're to trust him with every aspect of our life. And when you come to a time in life where you're worried or you're feeling anxious about something, it's a reminder that because he's a God that cares about every aspect of your life, and the law shows us that, that we need to trust in him. And he says here that we are to cast all of our anxiety on him. One of my favorite passages in, in Scripture, and I think every Christian should memorize this, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then it says, and the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Fourth thing this morning, stay alert and resist the devil. Stay alert and resist the devil. There's to be this great resistance movement within Christians and God's church that is constantly pushing back against the darkness of this world and the devil and all of his schemes because he is a schemer. We are called to resist the devil. Look at verses 8 through 11 here. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Okay, those, those are some strong words. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings, the same kind of temptations, the same th kind of bad things happening to good people, all of that. 
Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. That word restore means to mend, to complete, to repair. He's going to mend, complete, and repair you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That word steadfast means stable. It also means to establish a foundation. He's going to make you strong, firm, and he's going to establish you as steadfast, stable, standing firm in the faith, and to him be the power forever and ever. So many times you read a line like that in verse 11, what does it always say? To him be the what? The glory, right? The glory forever and ever. But here he says, no, no, no. He's got all the power. I want to remind you, to him be the power to do all these things that, I, that I'm asking you to do, to do all these things that Christians are called to do, to do elders what you're called to do, to do Christ followers as you're called to do. He has the power to enable you to do it. To him be the power forever and ever. Stay alert and resist the devil and his evil schemes because he wants to lead you away. He wants to lead you astray. He wants to have an open door in your life. And he wants to mess things up between you and God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 remind us of this. Right before that passage on the full armor of God, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not your own mighty power, but in his mighty power. And what does it say there? Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because we have to know who our enemy is here. That the battle is not against flesh and blood even though it seems that way so many times. It's spiritual warfare in our lives because the devil is a cheat. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he loves to lead people away from Jesus. And he goes after you all the time, but especially in those times where you're distracted or those times where you are weak. And I think that's why he gives us the imagery here of a roaring lion. What does he say there? He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls. You know what that looks like, right? When, 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 when a lion prowls, he prowls around. He's sneaky, Right? He's laying around. He's like, you can't even see him, but he's, but he's nearby. He's, he's crouching. He's, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's, he's after us. He's waiting for that time of weakness. He's waking, waiting for that, for that time uh, where maybe you're just caught unaware. Maybe just distracted and you've just gone down the road and you've kind of been pulling away from God and you haven't been maybe attending church as much. You haven't been in the word at all. You haven't been in prayer at all. And it's in those seasons that, wow, it seems like you're in for a big time fall. Why? Because you pulled away from God. And the devil is always there prowling. He's always watching. He's always prowling. It seems like he's just a step away. Have you, have you ever seen this play out? You ever watched one of those documentaries, you know, on the lion hunts and all that? You know what I'm talking about? You ever watch that like on Discovery Channel or something? Well, check, check this out.
Whew. You're really glad that didn't end the way you thought it was going to, didn't you? Because I watched six of those before I landed on this one. Now, I was reminded that today is Family Sunday in church, okay? Family Sunday, we have children in here, um, especially during the second service. We have lots of children in here. You know, I'm not Alan Seibel on Family Day where I do some, you know, some, you know, show the, show the whole thing. If you've been around here a while, you get that joke. If not, that's okay. Love Alan. I appreciate his ministry work. That's the way it is so many times, I think, as Christians. You know, they're over there just wagging their little Christian tails. Woo, yeah, just fun day. And, oh, you know, I think I'm just going to go over here by myself. And I'm going to alienate myself. I'm going to quit going to, you know, my, my connect group. I'm going to go to Sunday school. I'm not going to be with the body. Really. I'm just going to go over here. I'm just going to just a little just adventure over here on the side. And then you get over there, and then here comes, you know, here comes Satan. And the, the, the sad thing is there's six to one videos that don't end that way. <laughs> In fact, in that case, I think he would have taken them down, but uh, I think he saw how small they were, right? Not enough meat there to make it worth the effort, perhaps. But it's a good reminder for us as Christians in the imagery that Peter gives us here. He says, hey, the devil, he's not someone to mess with. He, he wants to devour us. He wants to lead us astray. He wants you to go to old, back to old patterns of behavior. He wants to lead you away from God. So resist him. It says in verse 9, standing firm in your faith. Stay alert. Don't fall asleep at the wheel, Christians. Stay alert and resist the devil. The last thing this morning, stand fast in your faith in our living hope. Stand fast in your faith in our living hope. You might remember how this book and how this series began. It's identified as Jesus, that he is our living hope. He's not a dead hope because he rose again. He is our living hope. And when he gives us the purpose of writing this book, it's right there in verse 12. He says, with the help of Silas, and you know Paul and Silas, same Silas, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, Peter says this, I have written to you briefly, it's a short book, five chapters, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then he says this, stand fast in it. He's saying, some translations say, stand firm in it, stand fast in it, stay in the faith. And don't waver. Don't go a different direction in life. And he wrote this to encourage Christians and to testify to the truth that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. And that when we give our lives to him, he becomes our Lord and we are to put our faith in him. And we stand fast and we stand firm with him. Even if and even when things come your way in life. Even if and even when it seems like the world is falling apart. Even if and even when it seems like what's going on around the world is starting to affect us here. Even when gas prices are high and even when there's wars and rumors of war and potentially future wars. Even when the war seems to come home into our homes. Maybe we feel like we're at war with our own children. As Satan tries to 
prowl and take them away. Even if and even when bad things happen to good people, even when you get the diagnosis that nobody wants, even when it seems like you're just, you're just belly up in your finances and it this seems like there's no way out, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to repay this. Even when it's in, maybe even in your own marriage, you're just like, man, we just do not communicate. I just, I feel like, I just don't know how there's a way forward. I mean, I used to love them. I don't feel that way anymore. Even if, and even when you go through a season where you just say, man, my relationship with the Lord is stale at best. I try, I try to read the word. I feel like I'm not getting anything out of it. I try to pray. I get distracted. Even when all the bad things happen, maybe you're just one of those people that you're like, yeah, cast your anxiety on him. I'd love to do that, but you don't know what I'm up against here. Even if and even when all that the world can throw our way, Jesus is still on the throne, sitting to the right hand of the heavenly father. God is still sovereign over all things in our life. And Peter says to Christians, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, even if and even when the worst case scenario happens, stand fast in the faith in our living hope, Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the faith. And even when it feels like, hey, it's not going to happen the way I thought it would or the way I thought it should, or things get even tougher, stand firm in the faith, no matter what. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, no matter what. When you focus on Jesus Christ, it's amazing because the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Stand firm in it, even when it feels like it might be a time of failure. So many times you might have heard this line in life, it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish, right? You've probably heard that before. It's not really true in the Christian life. I think in the Christian life, it's 100% about how you start and 100% about how you finish. It's both. It got me thinking about Jesus as I've been reflecting on Easter. I've been reading some Easter devotionals, kind of preparing for this season. I was thinking about the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. And one of the things he says is it is finished. He says that from the cross. And then he dies and he's put in a tomb and a stone is rolled there. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, it is finished, but it felt like a fail. And it probably felt like a huge fail to, to Peter who wrote this letter. Peter had just denied Christ three times. I don't even know the man. I have nothing to do with this guy. The Bible cleans it up for us, but it says that he even took oaths. He swore that he did not know Jesus at all. And then it says when he realized what he had done, and he realized Jesus had predicted, he had told me, and I walked right into the roaring lions prowling and into his trap and into his snare. It says that he went away and he wept bitterly. And so to Peter, you have to imagine what Friday felt like. Jesus put 
in a tomb. Jesus crucified on a cross, dead and buried. And Jesus says, it is finished. And he's like, is it, is it finished? But I think for a minute maybe, Peter forgot that Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. If you come to the bread of life and you eat of me and you come to have us a relationship with the living water, you will hunger and you will thirst no more. Now we know the end. We know that there was a third day. We know that Sunday was coming. And we know that Jesus was going to be victorious because he was going to walk right out of that tomb. And death triumphed victorious over life. Yeah, we, we thought maybe on Friday it was finished, but it wasn't really finished till Sunday. I think Peter, when he got up on Easter morning, and if you read the accounts, it's interesting because, you know, it says that they hurried. It always says that the, the disciples, remember the ladies go to the tomb first, and it's early in the morning, and, and, and then the, the, some of the disciples fall. They go back to the disciples, they fall. It says that they hurried to the tomb. And in the, in the scripture, it says that Peter ran to the tomb. And then most of them stopped respectfully at the door of the tomb, right? No, it says Peter ran to the tomb and then he just ran inside. <laughs> you know why? Well, because it's Peter. Because he wanted to see it for himself. And when he walked out of that tomb, I wonder if it hit him. Jesus is our living hope. And it doesn't matter what we think or how we fail Jesus is our living hope, and he writes this book for us as a gift to remember. Put all your marbles in Jesus' jar. Go all in on Christ Jesus. Put all of your faith and trust in Jesus.